You are listening to the podcast of the Y Church of the Elk River YMCA in Minnesota. Our mission is to seek Jesus, connect together, and share his love. All right, Megan, why don't you join us up front here, and we're going to turn to Galatians 3, starting in verse 1, as we begin this new chapter. Galatians 3, 1 through 14. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed and crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Have you experienced so much in vain, if it really was in vain? So again I ask, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? So also Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse, as it is written. Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly, no one who relies on the law is justified before God, because the righteousness will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says, the person who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Thanks, Megan, for getting us started. Well, today's a big TV day in our country. I looked it up. It I was guessing it is, and it's confirmed. It's the biggest TV event of the year in terms of viewership. 115 million people watched the Super Bowl last year, and yet still, it is not the most watched television event in U.S. history. Can anyone guess what that might be? The last episode of MASH is in the top 10, but that's not it. It is the Apollo 11 moon landing, 1969. Still holds the record at 150 million at a time when our population in this country was just over 200 million. So imagine how many people were tuning in that day. But the Super Bowl is not why I've asked this table question this morning about what your favorite old TV show might be. It was... A word in the first verse that caught my attention. Bewitched. There it is. Some of you recognize this old TV show. I realize in asking about old TV shows that old is relative. So for some, an old TV show is SpongeBob SquarePants. And then we've got Joe Gordon with us who turned 92 just a few days ago. That's right, and Dick Honitschlager's right behind him, so we'll celebrate that too coming up. And for a guy like Joe, well, he saw the TV come into being, so he knows all the old TV shows. We're in for a wonderful passage in Scripture today, one where Paul really starts to level with the Galatians. 
In chapter 1, he said, I'm astonished. And now here in chapter 3, he's not so diplomatic anymore. And he says, you foolish Galatians, who bewitched you? And it sounds heavy-handed. And in a way, I suppose it is. I wouldn't deny that. But I do know this. It is a word of correction that is motivated entirely by love. Paul is not writing to the Galatians to berate them into the ground, but he's writing to get them back on track. Have you ever gotten off track and needed someone to correct you? You could get off track in a relationship. Maybe get yourself into something you should have never started. And maybe it's a friend who helps you see that. You could have gotten off track in your career. And all of a sudden you're looking back at where you are now and you feel like you're stuck in this dead-end job or in a bad work environment. Or, a last example, you could get off track in your finances and need some help getting out of a hole, learning how to approach finances with some new financial habits. That's what we've been doing Sunday nights in our finance class, or today at 12 noon, so we don't compete with the Super Bowl. So we'll meet after the second service. But the most dangerous area by far to get off track is in your relationship with God, and that can happen too. Because that is everything. Dating, Jobs, bank accounts, those are important, but they're temporary. Your relationship with God is at the very foundation of who you are, and it's forever. So today I want to show you how the Galatians got off track, how you and I are tempted or prone to do the same thing, and how God has provided for us in every way in order to stay on course with him. So as we look now at Galatians 3, if you have that in front of you, we see this opening verse from Paul where he sets the stage for everything that follows. So verse 1 really is like a heading over verses 2 through 14. Paul says, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. As we've seen so far in this letter, if you've been with us, We started at the beginning of January. The Galatians were giving up the true gospel, the true message of Jesus, and they were giving it up for something else, for a false gospel. And Paul, who loves them, is so confounded by their change of course that he uses this very striking language. He says it's like they're bewitched, like someone has cast a spell over them, like they're hypnotized. If you've ever had a friend or loved one who got involved in a cult or came under the influence of some guru or public figure of some kind and just started acting so differently, that's what was happening to the Galatians. Almost like they had been hypnotized. And in fact, there had been these agitators who came into the Galatian church and started to teach something that was different from the gospel different than Christ crucified. For them, in their setting then, those who came into Galatia, they were taking them back to this old religious temptation of just trying to be good enough on your own, trying to be good enough for God. In Old Testament terms, they were saying, yeah, Jesus is fine, let's still talk about Jesus, 
but you have to obey the Mosaic law. And for that, you'd have to turn back to your Old Testament to find where that is. They were saying, if you are really serious about God, then yes, Jesus, but you have to obey all of the commands of the Old Testament. And here's what Paul is going to say to them in this passage. He's going to essentially say, it would be a grave mistake to lose sight of the gospel and try to be good enough for God. That is the warning that sounded right away in verse 1 that will be unpacked in the rest of the passage and kind of in two halves. The first part of the passage, the rest of the passage will be asking questions. Lots of question marks if you look at the text. And then in the second part of the passage, he'll point to Abraham. So we'll start with the questions in verse 2. Paul says, I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? That's the big question. Let me put it in other words. Do we receive the Holy Spirit by being good enough or by believing the gospel? It's very instructive, I think, that Paul takes us to the Holy Spirit as evidence of true faith. Now, that's where he goes. You know, what would we point to? What, what would be evidence of true faith? I don't know. I don't think Holy Spirit would have been like the first thing at the top of my mind, and yet that's where Paul goes. And depending on your background, the Holy Spirit may or may not be very familiar to you. Even if you grew up going to church, not every church emphasizes teaching on the Holy Spirit. But the Bible certainly does. And so if you feel like you're catching up on who the Holy Spirit is, here's a 60-second summary. I didn't time it, but I think I'm going to aim for 60 seconds. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. So we talk about God, one God, in three persons, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is referenced from the very beginning of the Bible, is present and active in the Old Testament, And he's promised to one day be poured out on all believers, all those who believe in the Lord. Jesus said to his disciples that in his leaving, he would send the Holy Spirit to his disciples. And that's exactly what happened on Pentecost. We'll celebrate another birthday. That'll be in May. Acts chapter 2 tells that story. The Holy Spirit is poured out. And ever since then, the Holy Spirit comes to indwell literally to take up residence inside of every believer in Christ, including you and me. Some of the primary activities of the Holy Spirit, in case this idea is still nebulous, the primary activities in your life, what he does is to make you more like Christ, to give you wisdom, to convict you of sin, to help you in praying and understanding the Bible, to encourage and console and to equip you with spiritual gifts in serving the church. I was reading about some of the professing Christians who will be playing in today's football game, and I was reading about both teams and some of those who follow Jesus, and yet I want to highlight Brock Purdy, who said something that caught my eye. So he's the quarterback of the 49ers. He was the last pick. If you follow football, you know this, but just so we're all on the same page. He was the last pick of the 2022 NFL draft. His nickname at the time, because of that, was Mr. Irrelevant. 
How'd you like to be known as Mr. or Mrs. Irrelevant? And yet now he's the starting quarterback in the Super Bowl. It's pretty amazing. But here's what he said. He was asked in an interview if he prays during games. He said, yeah, I do. But it's not, God, can we win here? God, can we do something great here? It's more just to have that peace, that steadfastness in all the chaos. And here's what caught my eye. To say, Holy Spirit, take over and lead me here in this moment and allow me to think clearly. I don't know him, of course. I don't really know that much about him. But to me, when I hear that language, it sounds like Brock Purdy knows the Holy Spirit in his life. The presence of the Holy Spirit is one of the hallmarks of true faith. That's why when Paul arrives in Ephesus in Acts 19, he asks them, he's got this question when he shows up, he says, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Because believing and receiving the Holy Spirit go hand in hand. So back to Paul's big question. Do we receive the Holy Spirit by being good enough or by believing the gospel? The answer is self-evident to the Galatians because they know. They know their faith story. They received the Holy Spirit when they heard and believed the gospel. And so did we. Trying to be good enough, and you could put it in other words, trying to be religious enough, trying to be nice enough, will never result in a heart that is any closer to God because the Holy Spirit isn't in it. It's not in it. And he's the one who brings about actual heart transformation. So without the Holy Spirit, I kind of picture it like this. You're polishing this really good-looking apple on the outside until it is shiny and attractive as can be, but it's rotten on the inside. In order for the Holy Spirit to show up and fill a person inside You have to bend your knee to the gospel. You cannot earn the Holy Spirit. You cannot be good enough for God. And the interesting thing about the Galatians is that they had known this. They'd started off so well in their faith, but they got off track. And Paul now is shining a light on that for them. And he keeps the questions coming. In verse 3, he says this, Can we finish what the Holy Spirit started? Verse 4, he says, Have you experienced so much with God all these years of walking with Jesus to give it up now? You can see all those question marks. And finally, in verse 5, he restates, re-asks what he said at the top. He says, Has God given us the Holy Spirit and done such amazing things for us because we were good enough or because we believed? How you answer that question will fundamentally change how you relate to God. With regard to the Holy Spirit, F.F. Bruce said there could be no higher privilege for mortal men and women than the gift of the Holy Spirit. Is that a gift we earn? Or how about with regard to miracles? That's the word that Paul uses, those amazing things that God has done. Was it because of your track record? 
that God has shown up in your life and delivered something amazing? God knew that we would need to hear these words. He said it to the Galatians. He's preserved it for us. Because we can so easily correlate God's presence with, well, he must be pleased with my performance. We can so easily correlate God's intervention in our lives as the results of points and stars that we have earned. If I get the grade, if I make the team, I can see I'm on God's good side and his favor just keeps coming. If I don't, then I'll find myself disappointed with myself, but ultimately disappointed with God. But when we read our Bibles, we see that this is not how God operates. We don't receive the Holy Spirit based on merit or see God do something amazing because we have been good enough. We only receive these most amazing gifts because we believe. Paul then cites a bright and shining example, and he's going to use this as a hinge verse into the second half of the passage. He says, essentially, just look at Abraham. Exhibit A is Abraham. If you are Jewish, this is what the false teachers were emphasizing, this kind of stuff. So there could hardly be anyone greater in their history than Abraham. He was the founder of their nation, the father of their people. And Paul takes the Galatians to Genesis fifteen six, and he says, So also Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And I imagine when this, you know, these letters, they didn't have blue Bibles on the tables. So there, there's one copy, right, that came from Paul, and it would be read aloud to the church. And I imagine it getting really quiet when they get to this part of the letter. Maybe earlier, I imagine there was some murmuring. I don't know, something almost like British Parliament, you know, where you can hear all those remarks when they start off and it says, I'm astonished you've turned to a different gospel and murmurs go through the crowd. I think when they got to this point and they're hearing these kind of lines, the place quieted right down. Abraham's brought up and Paul says in verse 7, the children of Abraham are those who live by faith. Now, to you and I, it doesn't have a lot of emotional weight to hear the children of Abraham, to consider ourselves as children of Abraham. But if you were Jewish, this was your vocabulary. It was your whole identity. It reminds me of what Jesus said to the crowd in John 8 when he says, if you were Abraham's children, he's saying this to Jewish people, if you were Abraham's children, then you would do what Abraham did. And here Paul is saying to us, If you are children of Abraham, and therefore, maybe this is our language, children of God, you have that relationship only by faith, not by what you do. Paul continues to build his case on Scripture, and he says in verse 8 that Scripture foretold that all people would be justified one day by faith. And God announced this good news in advance to Abraham. So there's two options, Paul says as he continues on. He says, we can either rely on faith and receive God's blessing, which is exactly what Abraham did, or we can rely on being good enough and we will fail to do so. 
And you see Paul pick up more and more Jewish terms in this part of the passage. Blessing and cursing is the language that's used. It's covenant language from the Old Testament. You've got two options, a way of blessing and a way of failure and separation from God, two totally different outcomes. Paul says it is impossible to be justified before God by being good enough. Citing scripture again, he says, this comes from Habakkuk 2.4, the righteous must live by faith. There is only one way for you to live with God. I want you to imagine standing before the judgment seat of God with your whole life like laid out in a scroll. And depending on how many years you will have had, you know, that scroll might be long and across the entire courtroom. Everything you've done is detailed on that scroll. Every thought you've had, every word that you have uttered, and God knows every single detail. Are you going to stand there and try to point to all the things that you did right? Chapter 36, and look down at verse 11, and you'll find this. Are you going to stand there and point to those things and try to justify your presence in front of God? Or, here's the other option, and this is the gospel, this is good news, are you going to live this life by faith? Trusting fully and completely in the work of Christ who went to the cross to take away all your sin. Paul's closing line is this. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of trying to be good enough so that by faith we can receive two things. We can receive the blessing of Abraham and the promised Holy Spirit. You see how Paul has brought us all the way back to the beginning and the Holy Spirit. I want to put this in some practical terms as we come to a close. Galatians is thick. It's heavy reading in places. I just want to give some examples that maybe we can connect to. Friday, I was down in Minneapolis serving on an interview panel for a church planting organization. They're seeking to hire a director, an executive director. And so I was there uh, with two others on the panel meeting with the lead candidate. And as we sat down, the candidate gave us his resume, slid it across the table where we had listed in front of us all of his qualifications, his experience, his education. It highlighted his strengths and why he was uniquely fitted for this kind of position. All, of course, in an interview, which is perfectly appropriate. But do you think that you and I might try to relate to God sometimes in a similar way? God, thank you for this opportunity that we have, that I can sit down in front of you to present my qualifications. I think you'll be pleased with what I've done so far. I've tried to be faithful. I've always tried to be right by people and do the right thing. I'm not generally a judgmental person unless it's called for. Or you're a student. Maybe you're not really in that interviewing phase of life yet. And you know what it's like to try and make the grade. You're doing your best. You're studying hard. Maybe you're in a sport or band or you've got some other activity and you're trying to keep up with all the things. I think some of the busiest people on the planet are our students in this country. 
And your faith can kind of be the same way. Yeah, I could be more serious about my faith, but God knows how busy I am and and I'm doing my best. I'm a good person and hopefully at the end of the day, that's enough. Or you're in the later years of your life. One more example. And you're in the season of life now where you're not working anymore. You're drawing from your retirement account. All those working years behind you where you worked hard and you put away what you could, it should be enough, right? All those years now in spiritual terms of living right, of going to church as often as you could, it should be enough, right? And the answer we have from Galatians and from the entirety of Scripture this morning is no, it will never be enough. The only way to be good enough for God is to let go of any notion that you actually are. Any credit that you could take, any qualifications to your name that you would be tempted to lean on and to throw yourself 100% on the faith that you have in Jesus Christ. The only way to finish what God started when he called you is by faith. So take it from the Galatians this morning. It would be the biggest mistake of your life to lose sight of the gospel and try to be good enough for God. Let me put it in positive terms. Fix your eyes on Jesus and finish your race by faith. Let me say that again. Fix your eyes on Jesus and finish your race by faith. As one old TV show put it, is that your final answer? Regis Philbin. (laughs) Let's pray. Let's bow and come before the Lord. Oh, Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. And amidst 14 verses, Lord, in a Jewish context in the first century, I pray, Lord, that there would be such clear lines drawn to how we relate to you today. Lord, we thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit. We thank you, Lord, for the miraculous things that we have seen. And we receive these gifts by faith. Lord, if there's any temptation for any of us that we would lean on our own qualifications to be made right with you, I pray, Lord, that you would cast that as far from us as possible. We thank you for the gift of life in Christ, for what he has done for us that we could never do for ourselves. We praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Y Church podcast. For more information about the Y Church, check us out online at thewychurch.org.